listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. As a young spiritual seeker, I had one of these moments in, uh, in Nepal. I had uh, decided to leave my home temple and uh, went off on a journey to, uh, to Thailand and uh, studied with some uh, Vipassana teachers, just a different, different style of Buddhism, and then went to Nepal and was uh, working with uh, some Vajrayana teachers. And that's the well, the Tibetan style. Um, uh, anyway, this this particular this particular group, um, they're just outside of Kathmandu, and I was really, really struggling. I missed home. I was wondering, you know, is this is this really the right thing for me to be doing? Am I am I supposed to be, you know, <laughs> going to monk school? Uh, you know, what the hell, you know? And um, <clears throat> So I figured I'd, I'd ask that question of one of, the, one, of the, one of the teachers there. And it was just one of those beautiful moments where he, with this real soft, gentle expression, this resonant calm, he just kind of said, you know what? You're actually more afraid of being all that this practice might deliver than you are of anything else. I was like, doing. Thank you. You know, it's just this beautiful moment, and I, um, I think he's right. I use present tense purposefully. I think he is right. Um, I've heard that said in all sorts of different ways. I remember listening to Nelson Mandela uh, basically say the same thing: "We are more afraid of being all that we were meant to be than actually anything else on the planet." The uh, spiritual teacher, Marianne Williamson, same type of thing. You know, I mean, this just kind of keeps, keeps kind of coming at us if we're available to it. And if you can give that a little bit of space, a little bit of attention, what would it mean to be all that you actually are? This amazing divine manifestation of greatness. What would that look like? What would that look like if you could move through the world consciously as a gift? What would it be like if all of that darkness, if all of that pain, if all of that frustration, if all of that negativity, if all of your aversions, if all of your addictions, if everything kind of just... Melted away. What would be left? What would be left if there was no longer resistance there? The ego has a really quick story for this one. It goes something like this. It would be a disaster. Life as we know it would end. We must maintain control. You know, whatever. Get a new spiritual practice and a new psychiatrist and a new prescription. Everything will be fine. (laughs) And it doesn't work that way. 
we can do that, okay? Some of us do, okay? We go from one distraction to another thinking, okay, this'll do it, this'll do it, this. When in fact, it's that stopping that begins to undo the karmic tangle that each of us faces. Actually, you can interchange the words karma and tangle. It works really well. The karma is actually all of our work that we have done that has been predicated on me, mine, as opposed to you and yours. And whenever we act in that space, we create this twist in life. I used to chant this thing every night before, uh, you know, I'd go to bed uh, when I was living at the Zen Center, which was, I remember just this haunting line in the chant. It was like, all my ancient twisted karma. This beginningless, endless tangle of thread that we end up bunching up by acting on this impulse that I need to defend against the onslaught of threats. The most threatening thing of all, of course, being the infinite itself. Grace, ease, joy, perpetual joy. (laughs) And I can tell you it's not all perpetual joy. In my experience, not only as a teacher, but as a practitioner, there is hell to walk through. But we walk through it differently when we become really, really attentive to our lives. When we actually endeavor to meet our life as it is without flinching. We actually begin to study our fear. We get curious about our discomfort. We get curious about our comfort. We get curious about our situation. We get curious about the sense that we feel totally trapped. What can I do? Meet that totally. Meet that what can I do totally. Meet that nightmare totally. Tell. Tell it. Bring it. Come on. Come on. Because it can't hurt you. The mind says, oh yes it can. But when we actually start watching the mind, the watcher of that mind recognizes that it is absolutely unassailable, untouchable. It actually can begin to study the experience of mind going through its hell, but the thing that's watching it go through its hell is utterly free of hell. It is heaven on earth, actually. It is heaven manifesting itself in this experience. There's a steadiness to it. We can watch our hurt as opposed to being hurt. We can watch our frustration instead of being frustration. Watch our anger instead of being angry. And this is what leads us, and all seekers actually, this is what leads all seekers right down the yellow brick road into the heart of awakening. And any situation can deliver this. No matter how gruesome, no matter how lovely, any situation can help us see this. In fact, I would argue, usually it's when we get a real major ass-kicking that we stop. And in that stopping, the gift begins to unpack itself.
This is why we meditate. We meditate because we want to stop. Actually, you might not want to stop, but it's a really, really helpful thing to actually just assume a position of stillness, one, one where you can stay steady for a long time. Um, and I know, you know, being heretic, you know, uh, Zen boy, whatever. Uh, I'm. <laughs> you didn't know I was a superhero, Zen boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, right. <laughs> the. <laughs> that's going to be a comic book. Um, the. Uh, the way you sit, I'm not so into. You know, I sit this way because this was my training. I don't think it's necessary, okay? But if you're sitting on a chair, you're sitting on a backjack or whatever it is, whatever you're sitting on, you know, maybe just sitting on the floor, whatever it is, you want to make sure that there's an uprightness to your posture, that you're actually facing your life, that you're not slouching. That's, that's the main thing, that you're not kind of like... When's it going to ring the damn bell? You know, I mean, you could, of course, do that. But it, does, it, it really actually gets in the way, I think, of meeting exactly what's going on. So being in a situation where you, you put yourself where you're comfortable, but you are not lounging, okay? Where you can be upright in the face of whatever arises, that's kind of the gig, okay? So I want to read to you a quote that uh, just kind of stuck with me today. And if, if we're also like really trying to approach our life situation uh, in a way that allows for us to untangle the knots of karma, that allow for us to untangle maybe, for instance, the mistakes we have made uh, that allows for us to kind of hit reset in a way. Um, it means that we have to look very, very, very carefully at who we think we are. It means we have to look very carefully at all the past injustices we perceived have been done against us. It means we have to look very carefully at all the uh, worry and fear we have about what might happen if. We have to be able to engender this kind of strength. I oftentimes refer to it as spiritual athleticism. That we sit still in meditation. That's our way of running five miles. Okay? And that over time, what ends up happening is we get our wind, our cardio's there, okay? Uh, our muscles are stronger. There's pacing that can occur. We can start doing interval training. We can start, I mean, all sorts of great stuff can begin to happen if we start to kind of commit to, I want to, it's not kind of, if we start to commit to a daily stillness practice. It's really quite incredible the steadiness that this can kind of bring. And once again, it allows for this fearless examination of who and what we think we are. It allows for a steadiness to be carried into any situation that we might meet. Anyway, so Dainan Katagiri uh, was this great, great Zen master who uh, uh, actually took over at Zen Center um, after Suzuki Roshi died, and then um, Richard Baker took over, and that kind of turned into a mess. And Katagiri kind of helped 
patched things back together in a pretty constructive way and then took off for uh, Minneapolis. I believe it was Minneapolis. Anyway, um, I was most impressed as he was, this category was dying of cancer. He said he gathered all of his senior students around. He said, I want to give you a teaching that you will never forget in relationship to a Zen master meeting his own death. So he gathered all of his, this is, this is the story, I'm hearing this second and third hand, so forgive if I've screwed it up and you were there. Uh, <laughs> but he gathers all of his students around and then screams, this is what it's like. Don't forget this. And he lies down. Meaning that we have this idea that any type of deep spiritual work is going to just bliss us out all the time. It's going to be fine. Well, it's going to be fine actually begins to take over. But not because it's, everything is fine, but because our relationship to the non-fine has become fine. The relationship to the stuff that causes strain, stress, and agitation we as spiritual athletes become a little bit more okay with it. More space is there. Okay? Oftentimes deep anxiety, deep pressure, you know, that we're feeling just, it's like we're wearing clothing that is way too tight. And so we're restricted. There are aspects of each of our lives, I'm sure, that generate this kind of restriction. And what the meditative work does is it actually begins to kind of open that up a little bit. And then say, oh. Now, if you're like me, um, and you've been wearing super tight clothing around, um, <laughs> after a while, you just don't, you're not, you're not yourself. Or you're not yourself at your best. You're not yourself at your most open. You're not free functioning instead you're you're you know did you ever see uh, men in black mm -hmm. men in black edgar who was an insect was too big for this male suit that he was wearing you don't you're looking at me like I'm, oh you some of you know some of you don't well so here's what, what happens is he uh he's he's a bug and he's too big for this human suit that he has to wear and so the human suit is walking around like this all the time it's like that's exactly what this can feel like when we are suffering we are going through life but there's stuff that's just it's just it aches because it's been there for so long and deep stillness helps to undo that. That tight suit is another bind or is another, if you will, tangle of karma that we can begin to actually move past if we're careful. It involves deep stillness. It involves silence at a really authentic level. Okay? Kategiri says this. He says, the opportunity to experience real silence occurs when we have been driven into a corner and simply cannot move an inch. This seems like a situation of complete despair, but this silence is quite different from despair because in the area of despair, the conscious flame of human desire is still burning, 
but real silence is the state of human existence that passes through this despair. This is another way of addressing the very thing I talked about at the beginning of tonight, which is this witnessing awareness. That witnessing awareness can observe the despair. That witnessing awareness never moves. That witnessing awareness is continually still. It is utterly and completely still. And it is right here, right now. Every single one of you, if you are hearing words come out of my mouth, there's an awareness of what's going on. That awareness isn't moving. That awareness is prior to the mind that begins interpreting what I'm saying. You with me on that? Okay. You're aware first. Then mind jumps in. Then the ego jumps in. Then preference jumps in. Then attachment starts to develop. That's kind of how this, you know, how it kind of works. But if you can get to what's prior and you can begin to live there consciously, what happens? We no longer experience despair in the same way. We, in fact, are free of it. So, how is it that this takes shape? How do we untangle the tangle? It's not that karma, in the way I'm using the experience, you know how most people will think of karma and they go, oh, good karma is when I um, don't step on that ant. Okay? Bad karma is when I steal that person's parking place even though they were waiting for it. Which is bad karma. (laughs) The idea here is this. That that works fine, but bad karma in that sense is self-absorbed me, mine. My parking place, right? Okay? The not stepping on the ant, or good karma, is the ant and I are deeply connected. I respect the ants being an ant. I respect the snail's right to be a snail. And of course it's going to want to eat my beautiful flowers. If I were a snail, I'd want to. Get the idea? Okay, so how do we undo this, undo this, if you will, bad karma or these karmic, karmic impulses that carry us into deeper and deeper knots, tighter and tighter clothes? more profound bondage. How do we do this? Um, Recognize, especially when things get difficult, you're given gifts. When things are difficult, these are gifts in terms of spiritual work. So if you're going through a particularly difficult time or you have something that's kind of been nagging, you know, maybe it's low-grade anxiety, maybe it's out-and-out fear, maybe it's excruciating pain, from something that just happened, or maybe it's low-level you know, discomfort. It's been something that's perpetually been going on. Regardless, every single situation that puts us in touch with this negativity actually helps steer us right onto the yellow brick road, right onto that red carpet that leads directly into the house of God. Every one of them, if we're available. Uh, And this is going to sound so weird, but it avails itself. These gifts begin to avail themselves when we truly stop. 
which is something as Westerners we don't want to do. We want to keep moving because, my God, if I don't keep moving, I might die. Or I might have to face the stuff I don't want to face. Or I might get, get the idea here. And the, the work really is, you can do this. You can face this. I was at a retreat, uh, and one of, one of my students came in, and she sat down and just, I could tell she was really, really uh, tense. And she just started blubbering, just like the kind of cry that was just, just profound from the deep wells of her soul. And she said, I am in so much pain. I don't think I can do this. And I just sat there and listened to her spill. I didn't say a word. I just listened to her spill. I don't think I can do this. I've never been in this. I mean, I am so raw. I'm facing all this stuff I never wanted to face. And now here it is. And, you know, and you keep telling me to just sit right with it and meet it and everything. You know, and then she swore at me and stuff, which is going to, you know. You hate me? Okay, get in line. You know. Um, <laughs> but this very tender thing kind of started to happen. I started watching this deep anxiety and so forth turn into this kind of, you know, you know the quiet you get after a real cry? That began to reveal itself. And it was just kind of a, huh. And then I asked the question, how are you feeling? And she said, open. Okay? Yes. Yes, underneath all of that stuff, we are open. Behind all of that stuff, we are open. Surrounding all of that stuff, there is openness. And those tears sometimes can help dissolve that mylar boundary between self and other. Allowing ourselves to be still puts us in touch with this opportunity. Lots of people will take it. Lots won't. But I want to encourage, I want to encourage every one of you, you came here tonight, uh, or you've been coming for a while, or you've been, you know, sampling different spiritual paths or teachers or whatever, because something most likely wasn't right, that you have felt maybe in, in a corner. Congratulations. Welcome. Okay, the party can start now. All right? It is not always pretty. It is always beautiful if you're looking at it from that majorly huge perspective of openness. But it isn't always pretty. Uncovering this stillness, okay, practicing it is a major, major uh, support to this work. It helps us get beyond as Katagiri Roshi was talking about, this spacious, uh, excuse me, this, this space of despair, okay? And helps us get into an opening that allows for us to look and become curious about our despair. I want every single person to just try that. If you remember nothing else from what I say tonight, just try this one. Get curious about your anguish. <laughs> try that. It's the most amazing thing. You start feeling it coming on. You're like, ah! you know, you want to do something. You want to do something. Get out. Yeah, I'm going to go exercise. I'm going to go meditate. I'm going to go have a drink. I'm going to go shop. I'm going to, whatever it is. Instead, can you begin to get curious about it as long as you can possibly stand it? And then when you really have to, you can move.
after you've taken five more breaths. Just try it. It's an amazing exercise that can't help but deepen your experience profoundly. So I'm going to backtrack just slightly. What actually allows us or what stops us, what allows us to truly stop? Uh, number one, the brick wall. Okay. Um, I had a brick wall experience. Uh, I, I, I was out of college and was kind of sampling uh, uh, you know, Buddhism, Judaism, Christianity, all sorts of stuff, Vedanta, Hinduism, so forth. And um, I was going through a grief that was unlike anything I'd ever experienced with a breakup. And that breakup was my break-in. It was the coolest thing. I couldn't see it at the time. At the time, it was just excruciating, you know. Because what she did was she took her hand, put it inside me, ripped my heart out, threw it on the ground, and then stepped on it several times. I'm just telling you, I'm not bitter about it anymore. <laughs> she was like an Aztec. Ha! You know. You know. But that brick wall for me was just profoundly rich. Profoundly rich. I don't know, what's yours? Um... These are really great things to kind of consider. If it's not a brick wall, it can also just be on your own volition. I know tons of people who have come to sit with me when I was a student and in front of me as students who are in this, like I was in many respects, for greed. I want enlightenment. Yeah. That looks juicy. You know? I bet it would help my sales numbers. <laughs> Yeah, it might. I don't know. Um, but typically, we have to learn to kind of embrace the brick wall. Because uh, what this does is it allows for us to just kind of <laughs> truly stop our minds. And truly stopping our minds, we are shown in technicolor what we're clinging to. And when we can see what we're clinging to... Um, or what I should say is a way for us to see what we're clinging to or recognize that we're clinging is when we can recognize an experience that is not centered in grace and ease. If we are not in grace and ease, we're grabbing onto something. Get curious about that. Huh, I'm not, I'm not feeling grace and ease right now. What am I clinging to? It might be an outcome of something that you're putting time into or a behavior that you want to see out of your partner. It might be something that you want to see your kids do or not do. But we can begin to look at our craving. We can look at our grip, what it, what it is actually that we're grasping onto. And in that looking, in that curiosity, in that witnessing of our grasping, we take energy away from it. And as energy starts to melt away from our grasping, we can function with choice, a much deeper choice. I'm sure many of us in this room have felt like, I don't have a choice, I, I have to. And what do we do? We behave in certain ways that keep us small. And why do we behave in those certain ways that keep us small? Because ultimately, we're afraid of being huge. It's so much easier to go with the familiar than it is 
to go with what actually might lead us into something profound. This is natural. This is the human condition. Okay? Awakening is not natural. Otherwise, there would be no more war. There would be no more war because no one would be at war with themselves. We would begin to see that we are all totally connected. That fundamentalism would melt away just like any other attachment, any other dogma, anything else that pits us against somebody else, us against them. I, you, mine, yours. So, be supremely alert whenever any tension arises. Just watch for that, okay? Uh, watch defensiveness. That's when ego starts moving into the bunker. When it's being asked to participate, when it's being asked to, come on, could you let go of the wheel and come to Papa, you know? Because that's what a, enlightenment asks. It, it uses that voice too. Come to Papa. Okay. It's a joke. Uh, whenever we are, whenever we are in that situation where we are actually being invited, ego is not going to want to go. Because it perceives that any type of truly uh, 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 representative, in-depth awakening experience means that its job is over. And its job is not over. It's just radically reconfigured. Because rather than being the boss, the manager, the controller, the driver, now it's seen as an actor on stage. And we, as the audience, have perspective. We, as the audience, can suddenly see the machinations and doings of this mind, of this ego on stage. And we know that it's entertaining but that its story is not entirely real, not entirely true. So watch for defensiveness, the finger pointing. Somebody else, somebody else, or defensiveness on our own, you know? That's one. The other thing that you can, you can test for in your own internal experience is attack. How aggressive are you? Just consider it. Now, most people have a self-serving bias. Like, oh my God, I am like the epitome of gentleness. <laughs> and maybe that's true. Maybe the aggression doesn't show up as physical. Maybe it shows up passively. Maybe it shows up as a manipulation. Okay? Maybe it shows up as blame. One of the great uh, uh, impediments to awakening is the blame that we can throw down at our past. Don't. Now, this is not easy. But we can tend to look at it. Well, it's because of this that I'm, you know, I'm screwed up because of that. Or whatever. Whatever. It's because of that. It's something that happened. Well, 
when we can really become curious about our experience, when we can meet it head on, when we can not get defensive about it, when we can stop blaming and take indeed full on responsibility for our situation as it is, we free ourselves. Because the natural outcropping of that experience of taking responsibility is forgiveness. And it all starts there. No awakening. <laughs> no awakening will be authentic or will last unless forgiveness is at the core of it. No untangling of the karmic knots can occur without non-blame without someone from the deep recesses of their being saying, eh, well, mm, it's my work. Yes, it may have happened. But I've got to forgive myself and I've got to forgive them. It doesn't mean I have to forget it. But I am no longer going to carry this around. Your baggage just got minimized. And you cannot ascend to the higher altitudes on this mountain of spirit unless you let go of the baggage that you really don't need. You just can't. Last thing I'd point out to is indifference. Teacher asked this great question uh, to a group of us who were sitting in the zendo. It's given this Dharma talk and it was going way too long and all of us are like going, uh, you know, our knees and our backs are sore and says, what is the opposite of love? And there's this guy that sat next to me that I really liked, but he was kind of a pop-off and always, like, joking around and so forth. What's the opposite of love? And he says, hate. Just didn't even, wasn't even a hand raise or a bow or anything. Hate. And I started thinking, I bet that's not the answer. <laughs> and the, uh, the teacher said, No. Consider your feelings of love. Consider them. Where do they manifest in your body? And so he kind of went through this whole thing, unpacking it and so forth. He says, now, hate. Consider hate. Where does it manifest in your body? You started, I mean, he really walked us right into this trap. Because if you start feeling hatred, if you start feeling it, it is the same thing you feel when you are in love. It's just got a different lens looking at it. You're looking at it through a different lens. It's the most amazing thing. And it, yeah, of course you could say, well, wait a minute, McAllister. It's a little bit different here. Yeah, okay, fine. But the intensity, it's a spike. You know? Your brain, the chemicals that are going off in your brain, I mean, it's, it's a very, very similar experience. What is the opposite of it? Indifference. Watch for that. Are you indifferent? I can't tell you how many Zen students are utterly and completely indifferent and in thinking that they're awakening. <laughs> I'm not attached. <laughs> you know, they push, ah, no, 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 no. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm going to be fine. Okay, now this kind of leads into blame. It's almost like passive aggressive, isn't it? Right? Mm -hmm. It's not calling a spade a spade and living like you are. So if we just play with these, just play with these things over the next bit of time, you start looking at your defensiveness. You start looking at your tendency towards attack. You start looking at your tendency towards indifference. 
you study your experience, you get curious about what's really going on within. You can turn your day into a meditation that augments whatever you've been able to do in the morning or in the evening. You can begin to uncover a much deeper clarity. And that clarity allows us to see beyond despair. It allows us to untangle those knots. It allows for us to live the life we were meant to live. It allows for us, instead of being confined to smallness, it allows for us to live explosively, divinely, resolutely, powerfully, right here, right now. Feelings that get you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At least I think it's probably pretty um, is um, insecurity. Yes. Yeah, and in, I mean, we found out today we had to, you know, pay a bunch of money to fix somebody else's car. Oh, right? yeah. So a surprise. You weren't counting on it, and this rattles my yeah. sense of order and so forth, right? Well, but, you know, there is, not that it's a big, serious concern, but there is, a, it's a real yes. concern in, in your real life. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, and those things kind of build up and, and so on. And uh, so, um, I liked what you said. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but. You know, I can watch that. Yeah. And I can even sometimes get to the point of really, really watching it. But, you know, that is, it's a real problem. It's, how about if we put it this way? If we were to take the, um, if we were, if we were going to take a, a different perspective on it, um, instead of a real problem, it's a real situation. Mm-hmm. Right. I, th- I said this a little while ago. I mean, they're really no problems. They're just situations. You've got to have the ego in there to make it a problem. You've got to have the mind uh, evaluating, categorizing, compartmentalizing in order for it to be a problem. Otherwise, it's just a situation that needs attentive awareness. Okay? And so what it does is it takes the emotional hum. It takes that negativity away from the scenario And as long as we've got that negativity away, that resistance, so to speak, uh, is no longer uh, in play, what happens is we can make decisions that are rooted in generosity and wisdom and compassion for ourselves and everybody else. And you know what? The, the, The resistance we might have to paying or it was their fault or whatever, all that stuff begins to kind of melt away. It becomes a superfluous addition that is no longer... That, that no longer really shows up or sticks the way it might have 
in the past. I don't know if that's been your experience at all as, as, as you kind of look at this, but it might be kind of cool to, you know, play with that a little bit. Play with your experience a little bit. Really get curious about, like, you know, how it's, how it's shaken loose or not. Or, or confining and, contr you know, contracting. And I was trying to think as I was speaking, there was a, it related to what you're talking about. And, uh, um, <clears throat> if I if I try to let go of this kind of thing, then my egos can stay. What? This is a big deal. Right. You can't pull away from that. Right. So here's. I, and that's that's where that fear comes in. The fear of actually. Who's the ego talking to in that moment? You can't pull away from this. This is a big deal. Mm -hmm. Or is it talking to what's bigger than itself, which gives it the anger because it feels afraid? Yes, it feels afraid. It feels afraid, right. And like, I would be irresponsible. Irresponsible, that's a good story too. Yeah. So when you get curious around that, you get to see all these stories, all these scripts that are being thrown around on that stage. Yeah. That is the work. That is the work. Yeah. I hope it works. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> hey. So I have a question. Um, talk about uh, the witnessing awareness, like when you're actually observing your feelings and thoughts and whatnot, mm -hmm. either during meditation or in the course of the day. So the problem I'm having, or the situation I'm having, <laughs> is. Uh, Good one. Good one, Ryan. It seems like the ego has a tendency to slip through the back door sometimes. So I'm thinking, sometimes? I'm thinking most of the time. So you know, I'm, I'm trying really hard to you know, just be the witness or whatever, and it, it always seems to be like, okay, what the hell is going on now? Is it, is it me? or You know what I mean? Am I observing this uh, non-judgmentally? You want to know how to tell the difference between, uh, between it sounds like what you're saying, and if I'm putting words in your mouth, you know, tell me, but it sounds like you've got ego, which is really obvious, and then you have backdoor ego, who, who pretends it's the witness, <laughs> right? So here's how you can always tell. The ego that thinks it's the witness always has something to say and some resistance, okay? So the witness, I always use this metaphor, like a mirror, a mirror does not like decide what it's going to reflect. The sun does not shine uh, and then choose who's going to get the light and who isn't. The witness is all there. All there. And so whenever, whenever you, there's always a way to just kind of keep backing up. Okay? You get good enough at it, you start seeing the source of the witness. It's not really seeing, it's not really even sensed, but that's another talk. Read my book. <laughs> You have this, this sense of, of being able to watch exactly what's going on, and the witness won't give up judgment, or it won't, it doesn't, it has nothing to judge. It's just like a mirror reflecting what's there. So give that a shot. See if that helps, helps you kind of navigate that very cool, subtle aspect of the practice. Thanks for the question. Yeah. Yes. It's nice to see you again, by the way. Thank you. Very happy to see you. Yeah. Um, see if I can get this out. I 
used a metaphor of yours. I was going into uh, what I perceived as a personality attack on me. Mm -hmm. And you talked about, I remember listening to a podcast that the vision of a lead ball coming at you instead of it hitting you is it drops in front of you. Plops right, right in, right front, in front, of front of you. So I love that. It yeah. resonated with me. And I <clears throat> meditated before I went into being yeah. surrounded by people and specifically three that were there to hang me. Uh-huh. And supposedly a support person from the union right. and an administrator. Right. And I proceeded to listen to what was coming out of this woman's mouth and her sister and the child. Uh-huh. And and it was like this. She was at me like this through the whole thing. Yeah. And it was essentially like I felt like I was in a movie watching mm. this. And Actually, with and the I, finger, too. Yeah. With the finger. With the finger. Oh, my and, goodness. And, I mean, I'm, I'm a visual artist yeah. teacher, so my, <laughs> and my brain works in comic strips. And so right. It was being enhanced. Yeah. And, and Zen Boy I came took, to the rescue? Uh, <laughs> 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 it was very painful. Yeah. Yeah. It was excruciating yeah. because there was the duality going on. Yeah. Sixteen-year-old me who wanted to jump across oh, the yeah, table. Oh yeah, of course. And wring her freaking neck and. Right, right. Put my fist down her throat. Yeah. And then the other part of me that was really listening and observing and watching, and seeing this as such a sad, sad situation. Mm-hmm. But also was going on as I'm watching the faces of the people who are supposed to be supportive and nobody's reacting, nobody is stopping what should have been stopped and it went on for two hours Mm. and at which point there were other meetings that everybody had to go to so they finally stopped it but was told it would continue tomorrow. Yeah. So I turned to my administrator and I very calmly said, I don't want to come back here tomorrow, but I know you're going to tell me I have to, but understand this, that if this woman proceeds to do what she did today, Mm -hmm. and none of you support me or stand by me, Mm -hmm. I'm going to very calmly, very quietly turn to you and say, I've had enough. Right. If the rest of you would like to sit here and pursue this for another couple hours, Mm -hmm. you've got my blessings. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it went down exactly the same way the next day. I sat for probably less than 10 minutes and very calmly turned to him and told him what I told him the day before. And I said, you're all welcome to stay here and continue to not resolve the situation. But I'm done. Mm -hmm. I'm leaving now. Goodbye. Mm -hmm. And I felt great. I felt really empowered and Mm -hmm. strong. And I left and Bubba talked to the husband, shared with this one, went mm-hmm. to yoga class, free, 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 and then boom, within days, mm-hmm. it all came back. Right. It all came back. And I was 
what more could I have done? And blah, da, 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 and, you know, and just all of, and, and again, the same thing of one side of my head going, you did everything humanly possible. Mm -hmm. and, and how do I? <laughs> there you go, 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 go. That's how do I stop this self-judgment? You don't stop it. You don't stop. No, because when you try stopping self-judgment, you just give it more fire. You don't try stopping. You don't try stopping the judgment. You try stopping and watching the judgment. The watcher of the judgment is no longer bound by that fire. Okay? And so my recommendation is you you know, you let the lead you know, somebody says, you, and you just kind of do what you did. Mm -hmm. I still, what I would have done if I were you, and I say this as an educator, pull uh, an administrator aside if this ever happens again, and you say, I'm not here to be pilloried. I'm not here to be pilloried. So, you know, figure it out. But, but that's, you know, in, in, my, in my view, I don't, it, it doesn't feel like I, I'm being supported at all. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a really cool thing. You felt the fire of that empowerment the next, you know, carried you for a few days until the ego mm -hmm. is able to then whip it back around, come through the back door, and this time in very destructive ways, begin to, like, work those old stories, start, you know. Yeah. It's like the witches in Macbeth, you know. Because you go back to these people, and I did. How could you sit there and not say a word? The situation, the situation is immaterial. Immaterial. The practice is material here. And the practice is, whatever situation arises, you've got to be able to let it be as it is, okay? And the minute the attacks come, you let them fall in, right in front of you, just like a lead ball. You son of a plop. You know, you just, you're there. And then respond appropriately from a place of generosity. Yun Men, the uh, Zen master, said, what is the teaching of an entire lifetime? And his, what he said was, an appropriate response. Well, an appropriate response can take all sorts of different... It doesn't mean you have to take it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, one of the most powerful you know, responses you can give, the most generous thing you can give is, shut up. <laughs> you know? It can be a very, very generous thing. That way, they don't look like Missy Bitchhead, and you don't look like you know, someone who's just taken it on the chin the whole time. Mm -hmm. Smack, smack, smack. All right? Did I just use the term Missy Bitchhead? <laughs> it's a first here at Infinite Smile. <laughs> You're a divine manifestation of the infinite. So are they. Mm -hmm. Okay, that dance mm -hmm. that they wanted to dance with you yeah. was something you can either participate in or not. Same goes for every single person in this room. You don't have to dance. Okay. How you choose to participate becomes the art of your life. Mm -hmm. Choose well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for coming tonight. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm.